Welcome to the Reynolds Company's Industrial Automation Podcast. This show features conversations with the automation specialists from the Reynolds Company, an authorized distributor for Rockwell Automation. The conversations here explain and explore the evolving landscape of products, services, and solutions for industrial controls and automation. Now on with today's episode. Welcome back. I am Wayne Welk, your host for this episode. Today, Brandon Singh returns to the podcast as we present part five in our industrial networking series, which will look at layer three switches. So far in our previous episodes, we have covered physical media, access switches, networking topologies, and IT concepts. And over the next several episodes, we will continue to have topics on industrial networking and the converged plant-wide ethernet or CPWE. Be sure to check the show notes for any useful links about the topics we will discuss in this episode. Now, let's welcome back Brandon to the podcast. So welcome back, Brandon. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Pleasure. Enjoy doing it. You've been with us now for the last couple episodes, and we've been working our way up the plant floor. And today we wanted to discuss layer three switches and perhaps level three site operation stuff. So I think that's where we'd like to start out today. In our last episode on the IT stuff, we were talking about the OSI seven layer model. And I know you mentioned a few times the Purdue model, and I can already see where this gets confusing because OSI is seven layers and the Purdue model has got five levels, right, I guess, versus layers. Let's take a few minutes to talk about the Purdue model and what makes it different from the OSI model. So the Purdue model, in essence, is a logical breakdown of how the plant would be set up. And what I mean by that is you, and it's levels zero through five. So levels zero through two, so those three levels there, would be your cell area zones, Cell area zone, and then like I said, it's broken up into three levels. So level zero is where you would have your sensors, your drives, actuators, robots are there at the bottom level, level zero. Move up one to level one. That's where you, uh, again, another cell, cell area zone, but that's where level one, you'd have batch control and drive control and safety control. So that's where your controls would be. Move up one more to level two. And you're at the top level of your cell area zone. And that's where you'd have all of your uh, factory talk clients. You'd also have some operator interfaces, uh, engineering interfaces. Generally, those would be your thin clients or a, a workstation if you haven't converted over to a thin client. But that's where those would sit. And those would all be directly tied, you know, again, back down to your batch control, drive control, and then from your batch control down to your sensors and your drives, your actuators, etc. So moving up, We'll get into level three, and that is the industrial security zone. And there is where you would have your application server. So your factory talk application server, your factory talk directory, you would have your historian there. You'd have your thin client manager, your actual software deployment there from there, uh, your remote desktop server. So all of your server application would be there all of your main site operation servers and services would be there at level three. Just above level three, we have level 3.5, commonly also referred to as the industrial demilitarized zone, the IDMZ. That's pretty much a melting pot for connectivity between level three to through zero and level four and five. 
because level four and five are the enterprise. Uh, so that would be your business offices. You know, your everybody who's on the business end of the unit, your business units, your leads, people who don't come to the plant floor, who don't work on the plant floor. That's where they would, when they log onto their computers, their computers connect in levels four and five, which is like again, the enterprise section. So that uh, level three and a half is a melting pot where they can actually get connectivity into the plant floor and actually see what's going on on the different levels uh, from three down through zero without actually having any ability to change anything, but they can still have that visualization. So that's where that level three and a half comes from. That's the Purdue model in a nutshell that's kind of laid out how your plant would look. Basically, if you were to lay it horizontal and turn it into a building, the front of the building was level you know, five and four, that's your business offices. And then as you work your way back through, you'd be working your way on to the plant all the way down to the sensors and drives, which is level zero is the way I like to look at it. So it's just a logical breakdown of how a plant and a building would be set up. So kind of a, an architecture reference for the, the networking hardware pieces. Yes. So it's essentially what it is, is you look, everybody's seen the big Rockwell Cisco CPWE network diagram. And unless you're a network engineer like myself or you have multiple years of experience, it looks like a bunch of diagrams with cross lines going all over the place. They can give you a headache. This is a logical way of how to look at that diagram specifically. It's very clean. It's very simple. You're looking at six different layers and it's very logical in how it's thought out. So back in episode two of our networking series, we discussed layer two access switches. And today we wanted to really focus on layer three switches. So would it be as simple as saying a layer two access switch is in level two of the Purdue model and a layer three is in level three of the Purdue model, or is it not quite that clean cut? It's not quite that clean cut. The Purdue model is a logical breakdown of how a building would be set up. The OSI model is seven layers, as we discussed. Within every level of the Purdue model, the OSI model lives. So if I'm in level two, the OSI model still lives from level from layer one through seven. In each level, the OSI model still is there, still lives, because as we discussed, the OSI model goes down from the physical media, fiber, or copper connections all the way up through the application and the protocols and ports that are being used to transmit data. So that all exists in each level of the Purdue model. So when we say layer two or layer three switch, what we're talking about is the capability of the switch. What a switch does is it receives information from something on the network that's connected to it to pass on to something else on the network. It looks at where it came from and sends it on its way to where it needs to go. It is the middleman. You can look at it as the mailman. We drop something off at the post office. A mailman or mail deliverer picks that up, looks at where it came from, looks at where it's going, and then drops it off. That's all a switch does. Now, when we talk about a layer two versus layer three switch, that changes on how that function is actually done. Layer two switches, and the layer two or the layer three is referencing the OSI model layer two, which is the data link layer, or layer three, which is the network layer, is layer two switches operate using the MAC address as its way of knowing where something came from and where it's going. So that's, as we discussed in previous episodes, those that's the physical identification that can never change on a piece of hardware. Layer three operates using IP addresses. As we discussed in the previous episode, IP addresses are the unique addresses that are assigned 
for when you're connected to a network to be on the network and to go out to the internet, etc. So layer two switches use the MAC address to see where it came from and to know where it's going. And layer three switches look at the IP address to know where something came from and where it's going. That's what the difference is between layer two and layer three switch, not necessarily where it actually sits in the Purdue model. It's more of an app, the function of how does this hardware actually utilize what it's supposed to do. So one of the features in that layer three is routing. And that's, I guess, is that part of the, the IP address part of it? Yes. So what is routing used for? If you know I have the IP address of where I need to send this piece of information, routing is going to take place in terms of, I know it's not on my network, but I need to get it to that network. Here's the network address, the IP address where it lives. Switch looks at that. Okay, this is where it's come, where it's going, where it comes from, and it sends it to the correct location. Very very similar to, let's say, you're in New Orleans, I'm in DFW. If I were to mail you something, I have to put on there your address, and it shows that you're in New Orleans, and I would drop it off my local post office. My local post office would then get it, look at it, say it's going to New Orleans, put it on a truck or a plane to New Orleans, drop it off at the main mail center there, and then from there, it would get associated to the correct local post office to deliver the piece of mail to you. Routing works the exact same way because if you're sending a local letter, it wouldn't have to actually be sent to a main mail distribution. It could just be sent to the local mail post office. Uh, if I'm in DFW and I need to send it to somebody else locally in DFW, that's why you generally get local mail a lot faster than you do sending it across the state or across the country. Same thing with the routing principle. Routing principle essentially is you know you're sending something that's on a different network, so you're going to need a switch that does layer three to look at the IP address and send it to the correct IP address. You have to have a layer three switch to be able to do routing. Is there any way to do it in layer two? There is a way to do it in layer two. It is something they call inter-VLAN routing. A VLAN is your your own virtualized private local area network. So I may have VLAN one, two, three, and four, but all associated on the same switch. All the devices on those different VLANs are still connected to one switch, but they're on different networks. They're all on different VLANs. So what they have with inter-VLAN routing is where you're still using an IP address to transmit and send that information from VLAN 1 to VLAN 4, but you're not leaving the actual switch itself. So that's why they call it inter-VLAN routing, because all the VLANs live on the switch. So it's the inter-portion is referring to inside the switch, but VLAN meaning all the VLANs are inside the switch, so inter-VLAN routing. Still using an IP address. I need I have a 192.168 address on, late, on VLAN 1, but I need to send it to VLAN 5 or 4, and it's a 172.16. The switch would know when you send the information, I need to send it here. You send it, uh, the switch receives it. Switch says, oh, okay, this is going to VLAN 4, then I will send it right down to this device over here on VLAN 4. Works identical to actual routing, except you're not leaving the switch. It never has to use actual routing protocols to route over to the next VLAN, which is, let me back up, and that's something I missed on the actual routing portion. When you're routing traditionally, and you're going from IP address to IP address, there are routing protocols that are set up in place. The routing protocols, there are different ones. One is called a static route, which is essentially, it's a set route that you program into your switch. It knows this IP address goes to this IP address for this network goes to this IP address on this network. Or you have something else called EIGRP, which is another routing protocol 
inter-VLAN routing, those protocols aren't needed because you're routing within the same switch. So it never has to leave that switch. So you don't actually have to configure the traditional routing protocols. Now, when you're setting up inter-VLAN, one of the things you do have to have set up in order for this to actually work properly is the NAT or the network address translation, which again, 99.99% of the time, if you're actually using multiple VLANs, you've already set up the NAT already. So that portion is you've already taken care of. So your inter-VLAN routing would work effectively without much configuration change. So like we said before, we did talk about access switches, and those are basically your access points into the network. There's also um, distribution switches and core switches we see, especially in that Purdue model. What are those switches? Those are two very important switches. So there are three types of switches. When you have a fully converged network, you have three types of switches. You have access switch we've discussed previously, which is exactly what it is. It gives me access to the network. You have your distribution switch, which is the next level up. And what a distribution switch is, it collects the data from all of the different access switches across the network. And the data it's collecting is what VLANs are in use on those access switches, what devices are connected to those VLANs, what ports are associated with those VLANs, how we plugged anything new, ARP table information. The ARP table are the tables that are used for your routing information or your routing protocols. All the information that the switch uses that has to perform the duties of a switch of sending information back and forth, the distribution switches collect all that information from all of the access switches into one repository. And it says, okay, I have all of this information. The purpose of it is, is if I go in and I set up a new access switch, I can populate the information about all the other switches from the distribution switch down to the new access switch without having to, you know, go into the configuration on each access switch and copy it over via trunk port. I can simply do that from the distribution switch that it can be connected to and it'll seamlessly taken care of for me without having to connect to five, six, seven other access switches I have on the network. So that's the purpose of a distribution switch is if I go in and I'm adding to my network, I'm adding a new access switch, it can distribute the information that that switch needs to know about all the other switches, different networks down to it so that it's out of one repository. Moving up from the distribution switch, you have your core switch. And the core switch is a high capacity switch. Eight out of 10 times, your core switch on your plant network is going to be a high-performance enterprise-grade switch, whether it be a Cisco Catalyst 9000, 9300, 9500. It's going to be a high-performance traditional enterprise switch, and your core switch is the key backbone to your entire network and the key backbone to your physical layer of the OSI model. What that is, and and it's going to be key to your site operations on your Purdue model in level three. And why I mean by key and the core switch is because it's eight out of 10 times directly connected to your MDF, your multiple distribution frame, which usually houses your your servers. So it's going to be directly connected to your historian. It's going to be directly connected to your remote desktop services. All of the different servers that we said that would live when we discussed your Purdue model and your level three, all of those different servers and everything that's there is going to be directly connected to that core switch. Also connected to that core switch is going to be 
generally the beginning of your your media for your physical links, uh, your main home run links that go to a patch panel, then that patch panel down to your switch or your controller, etc. So that main link to your first patch panel is going to be also connected to that core switch. So that's why it's considered the core backbone. That's the main backbone of the network and a core switch because it's directly tied into both the network on the media side and everything attached to it. So your distribution switches, your access switches, your controllers, but also going to the MDF and your servers with all of your information to run your plant. It all runs through that one core switch. They've mentioned a few times servers the, the applications that run on servers being in that level three of the Purdue model, the site operations level, is that typically what we see operating there? Is there anything else that would uh, be running in that level three zone? So in the level three zone, I said be your servers, your main engineering workstations, remote desktop server, factory talk application server, your thin client manager servers, everything will be there for your site operations. Core switches will be there in your level three. You would also have, as far as security side, your firewalls would be there on your, on your level three side. Any other security appliances that you may have besides your firewall, you may have other network security appliances. Those things would also be there and then your servers, engineering workstations, that's where those would be. Uh, so a lot of times your level three, uh, to give you an actual location, would be your control room. That'd be your main office location with uh, on your plant floor. That's your main office uh, where your plant manager sits and he's got his multiple screens and seeing a lot of his dashboards and his analytics of what's going on within the plant, that's going to be that room. It's generally, you know, a controlled room as far as environmental concerns go, which is why we have our core switches in there and our servers in there to keep out of the elements. So our plant floor, like we said, levels zero, one, and two, everything kind of comes up into the access switch. And then the access switches all kind of tie back up into level three to the kind of a distribution switch, which could in turn tie into a core switch. Correct. That's kind of the data flow, shall we say, from the plant floor up to at least the, the site operations piece. Yes. So I should say that uh, in our next episode, we will tackle the IDMZ or the industrial demilitarized zone, because that's a, a bit of a mysterious term and a mysterious place. So, Brandon, you're going to help maybe demystify that a little bit for us. Yes, I will demystify that. That's that magical level three and a half on the Purdue model. And in within the Within the industry, we just kind of leveled it level three and a half. And we'll talk about what's going on in that level on the next episode. That's a lot of interesting, fun things that are going on there. Well, good, because uh, that will be something that I know personally I'm going to learn a lot about. So once again, Brandon, I really thank you for joining us and, and enlightening us again on some common IT principles and the Purdue model especially. So thanks again. Thank you for having Thank you again for listening to the Reynolds Company Industrial Automation Podcast. For support, please see our website, reynoldsonline.com. For those of you who are outside of our area, which is a large part of Texas and southern Louisiana, please visit rockwellautomation.com, and there you can find your authorized local distributor. Check our show notes for links to contact our team, as well as pertinent items from today's discussion, and join us next week for the next section in our ongoing industrial network.